Están escuchando el viaje medianoche con el gran Guillermo. Este cinefilo lo va a llevar fantasmal por miles y miles. about some Mexican insanity from the wonderful year of 1977, the year that we first brought the trash to the class, and the class to the trash. This week's episode, or this episode, I shouldn't say this week's, this episode is programmed by the king of Blu-ray collecting, Blu-ray Viking, as my partner in crime calls him, Kelly. Uh, Kelly B, we'll say, uh, over on the groups is pretty active over there. He posts pictures of Epic Haulage, <laughs> to which uh, they've become the measuring stick against every man measures his collection, his weekly hauls. So it, again, was another episode, another film that I, um, I've been meaning to see for ages. I, uh, I'm a big fan of what Mondo Macabro does. They put the film out. And uh, I just, you know how it goes, you, you don't get around to everything that you want to cover. Um, so I didn't see this, and I just I kept seeing the cover. It's a pretty iconic cover, it's pretty distinct, and I just kept circling around and around and around. And then finally, a few months ago, the Mill Creeps covered it, and I really wanted to see it again, and I made a point to see it again. But as luck would have it, uh, he programmed it for the show. Um... Thankfully, he did. Uh, it was nice to get one off your plate that I'd been meaning to see for so long. It is right in a sweet spot as far as horror goes. I mean, early the 70s period. I was talking about being the golden age of, of film, but I think for a lot of us, it's the golden age for horror. 70s and 80s, that those 20 years really brought about a lot of great stuff. I mean, some people would argue the, the Universal stuff or the 60s if you're going to lump Hitchcock in or Baba's work or filmmakers like that but for me it really is the 70s and the 80s um that work the best for me uh from a, an emotional standpoint and a stylistic standpoint certainly there was a lot going on culturally politically politically and otherwise in a lot of countries and um this enabled filmmakers to to break out a lot of break out of a lot of the restraints and the the taboos and, and the the things that were kind of forbidden to be putting on the screen and all the rules were broken and all the bets were off 
And with this film, we get a film that uh, has often been compared to The Devils, the, the masterpiece. And I'll use that word, the masterpiece that Ken Russell put out, I believe, in 1969 or 72. Let me, uh, let me take a look as we're talking about it here because I'm anal like that. Uh, 71. I was wrong on both counts. Close enough. Um, anyway, the reason this, this film, uh, Alucarda, I think I've said the title, I must have by now. Um, the reason Alucarda is so consistently compared, or not even compared, but just mentioned alongside The Devils is because of its, um, it deals with the Catholic Church, it deals with a lot of pretty shocking, even by today's standards, um, a lot of imagery that kind of defiles a lot of the, the sanctity and the, um, the, just the, 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 the iconography of the, of the church, um, Mexico being a country that is as deeply, devoutly Catholic as any country in the world, it's fascinating to see them and their take on this, um, I'll read the synopsis now. A young girl's arrival at a convent after the death of her parents marks the beginning of a series of events that unleash an evil presence on the girl and her mysterious new friend, an enigmatic figure known as Alucarda. Demonic possession, Satan worship, and vampirism follows. So that uh, that's that. Um, I have to come right out and say that I've always looked at this cover and always thought that Alucarda looked like Ozzy Osbourne, like a young Ozzy. So, especially with, you know, Sabbath and then... The um, the image of Alucarda with the upside down cross on her on her on her front. It's uh, it just I've always thought, man, homegirl looks like Ozzy. Um, so yeah, this is a Mexican film, and it opens right away with some pretty pretty evocative imagery. Um, we get this kind of hunchback with a devil face. He looks kind of like Jimmy Stewart in kind of fifties devil makeup. It's kind of uh, kind of bizarre. Um, I guess he, this is Claudio Brook, who does double duty as Dr. Ozak and the Hunchbacked Gypsy. I have to say that I wasn't really familiar with a lot of the actor, actors in this film. Now, uh, Juan Lopez Moctezuma was a longtime collaborator and friend of Jodorowsky, and it's pretty evident in, in the kind of insane, feverish way that he shoots films and, and um, presents his films. Um, so I think that he was probably using a lot of people, inner circle people in that kind of artistic community. And he wasn't really drawing from a lot of the conventional actors of the time in Mexican cinema. And Mexico as a, as a country, cinematically and otherwise, has always um, really fascinated me. Um, I think the from their, their junkiest, most low-budget films, which I have a real soft spot for, right up to... A lot of stuff that's a little more high-minded. I think it's a country that always uh, has a lot going on, uh, cinematically and otherwise. And I, it's a country that one of these days I'm going to kind of really dig my heels in deep and um, and go through kind of the history and work my way up. Um, instead of kind of just waiting in a lot of 80s, big-haired Mexican woman action film junk that I, I tend to, or more um, contemporary kind of art stuff from the country. So... Yeah, I have to think that a lot of the, film, the names, uh, the faces at least, weren't very familiar to me, so perhaps to some they were, but just doing a quick click here on some of the other two people, they tend to be all all Mexican, uh, of Mexican descent. Um, it's a film that probably didn't cost a whole lot of money. I think when you get a director that, um, 
Let me see here. I can see the dinero that it costs. I don't know. I can't see it. It doesn't really matter, I guess. But it, you get the sense that it really isn't a lot of a big budget for this film per se. But when you get an artist and someone with as as much they want to say as Moctezuma, I think artistic skill and passion go a long way towards stretching your dollar because he really stretches his dollar in this film. It starts out really kind of conventional and almost kind of um, clumsy, clunky for the first 10 to 15 minutes. And it really starts ramping up and getting more feverish by the minute. Uh, they use a lot of soft focus photography early on, which is very surreal, which works well because you're kind of of the mind, is what's happening real? Is this a dream? Is our Alucarda and um, uh, Tina, excuse me, Alucarda and Justine, are they really doing this? Is this really happening? And you're kind of uh, all over the place in terms of that. Um, so they use a lot of soft focus to great effect. And this is some years before soft focus became a real thing, probably about a decade before. And I think when you look at a film, it, it seems to be set um, at a convent. Um, probably had to be maybe the 1800s, early 1900s. Um, when you get that isolation and you get hysteria in the face of this isolation and in the face of order, uh, it really makes for a jarring clash because things are always so rigid and so buttoned down and such a stiff upper lip that um, when things really start bucking up, it it it's uh, it really makes for some uh, tremendous viewing. Certainly, um, I got to give it up to Justine and Alicarda in this film. That's Tina Romero and Susanna Camini. Because they both put in fantastic performances that um, they're very raw. They feel very frayed emotionally. Um, they're pretty brave performances. Um, on the cover, it says as a selling point, this, this holds true. More blood, loud screaming, and nudity than any horror film I can think of. From the Psychotronic Video Guide. So a bit of a cheap quote to sell the film. I think it kind of diminishes what it's going for artistically. But, but those things, I, can't, I can't deny that those things are true. This is a very bloody, bushy, shouty uh, film with a lot of lunacy going on. But I'm reminded to a degree uh, and to a lesser extent of Isabella Gianni's turn in possession. Just the way she becomes really unhinged. And it's kind of like these two young women, I get that from them on a bit of a smaller scale. But uh, by no means less demanding physically or emotionally or mentally from them. Um... So kudos to them. It really anchors the film well. And the film moves quickly. I think it's about 75 minutes long. So you get this Mondo Macabro disc. I think it's got for you know, a decent price. I don't think it's out of print. And they always do a great job with their discs. Um, they put in a lot of special features and bonus uh, documentaries on these making of films in these countries and stuff. So they all, you always get the bang for your buck with uh, Mondo Macabro discs. Um, oh, it's 85 minutes long. So still, it's under 90. I have to say that Alucarda looks a lot like the one of the girls, like the the main girl in the Lizzies and the Warriors. It's kind of this dry, kind of frizz, these kind of wild eyes. I think she looks like the girl that, um, yeah, the main girl in the Lizzies. I think the one that pulls the switchblade when they're at their their hideout. I'm trying to pull a fast one on on the, the live bunch from Coney. So yeah. Um, I want to talk about the set and the locale of the film. 
and stretching a dollar again because I think that the film benefits greatly from stuff that partially is probably made by hand, but also uh, Moctezuma having the familiarity and the production team behind him to know where to shoot because it's, there's some stuff in this. This deals with uh, a sect of Catholicism that feels very archaic and um, down to the costumes and um, down to the churches, like the walls, all just jagged, kind of raw, rough, kind of rock. And um, there's just a lot of really visually a lot of interesting things going on in the interiors of the film, which I guess I'll get to um, uh, probably as we go here. Like the ceilings are fascinating and frightening to look at. They're very foreboding. Um, so they work really well. And they, again, it kind of gives you that you're in this, the dome, this kind of uh, archaic dome of lunacy that's just that's going to blow the lid off any time. Um, there's a great moment in the film where they're in a garden. It looks like they got these hair metal bitches in the garden, which uh, kind of predates hair metal a little bit, but... Yeah, I thought that was, it was looking like a bit of a Dio video moment, so that was cool. Uh, yeah, so nudity, there's a lot of nudity in this film. If you have an aversion to bush, then this might be a problem, because this film has a whole lot of bush. Um, but yeah, I mean, the film, I think the nudity works well, because it adds this raw, visceral, vulnerable... Um, feel to it like there's a, there's blood rain and there's an orgy and everything just feels like a, a nerve a raw nerve that's being kind of poked and prodded and it uh it it just it really works quite well um one thing i would say is a, a critique of the film i do feel that the score is a bit too kind of experimental psychedelic kind of acid rock meets jazz in spots so the score was a bit of a letdown. I, I think they could have used more traditional kind of organs and and what have you, um, more strings. I think because the shrill, by nature, strings, specifically violins and so forth, are very shrill, and I think that would have worked well with kind of the mental state of our characters, especially as the film progressively more so. Um, I want to talk again about the nun outfits for a moment. They're amazing because what they are they're not the traditional black and white habits these are traditional um like uh, white gauze almost looking nun outfits that are very humbling they're very sort of humble uh, there's nothing fancy about them and what's so great about these is a lot of times they uh, flagellate flagellate themselves and um for penance and you see that these nuns throughout the convent have progressively more blood stains and dried blood and some have it on their arm and some on their thighs and it works really well to kind of give you a sense of again the kind of archaic kind of brutal nature of, of um, the sect of Catholicism which I know there's, there's still I want to say it's in Sicily maybe where they have that ceremony every year where the people walk through the town um, flagellating themselves uh, for penance which is always a bit unnerving um, some pretty terrifying quotes which kind of ha also harken back to the devils where um, when things start really kicking up they, they bring in some people to kind of investigate 
and uh, they're talking about nuns that have super in the past events that have occurred in I think the French countryside and in this part of Europe in this part uh, and they talk about nuns with superhuman strength barking like dogs predicting the future and it's just uh, <laughs> in my head I had this vision painted of, of just the lunacy of that moment and uh, yeah and it was pretty great um, the doctor in the film who I've briefly already touched on Dr. Osek, Claudio Brook, looks a little bit like Eric Roberts in this to me, actually, for what it's worth, um, which is always appealing because I like Eric Roberts quite a bit. I wish he worked more. He's been, he's turned the tide again and he seems to be working a little more, but he looks a bit like uh, Eric Roberts in this. Um, what else do we got? Blood, what does this say? Blood nude. Devil Woman in the Tomb. Mm. There's moments with uh, women that were nude, and they're just they're covered in blood. And the only thing that's not blood or blood red is their pubic hair and their actual hair on their head. Everything else is just covered in blood. And this gets really effective. And this is where it starts to feel like um, actually, what year? No, you know what? I thought this went the other way, but I think I might be mistaken. I had thought that um, De Palma, shame on me for um, for thinking this, but De Palma's Carrie came out in 1976, and I was familiar with the film. You know, the back end at the prom gets pretty mental. I This was a year later, so I wonder if... I don't know. Anyway, the back end of this film feels very much like Carrie but kind of more insane. Um, there's more people being set on fire. It, it, it takes Carrie, sets it in kind of the, the stone, brutal stone walls of a, a temple, like a, I don't know, a mausoleum, like a temple of some sort. It wasn't a church, maybe in the basement of a church, but um, it takes the Carrie setting from the high school prom, like the gymnasium, to the church, has about 400% more fire and nudity and blood, and screaming. So if you like the back of the carry, but you wish it was a little more insane, this is your film. I mean, there's just so much, just flames and screaming and boulders and stones falling. And it's wild stuff, man. And Aldo Carter, like homegirl is fierce, fierce in this film. When you see her, like she is in fucking sane. Um, but again, it's testament to how deep uh, she got into the role and really bravo to her for it. It's uh, it's insane. There's a moment with some flames kind of flailing around her, and and it's like that scene in Possession with a Johnny in the alleyway, which she's she's almost like this like a feverish kind of like there's a, a pack of of alley cats trying to tear out from inside her, and she's kind of flailing around, and it's uh, it's pretty astounding to see. Um, one more minor note for the film is that uh, they they overreach a little bit. Like the, the end of the film has some fire naturally, you know, for the credits it has fire. But I guess they weren't too satisfied with their um, their fire sound effect, so they get what is obviously someone opening like a Werther's or a candy wrapper and crinkling it and laying it over the <laughs> the shot of the fire for like this sound effect for fire, which was pretty cheapo and lame, but whatever it's a minor complaint I guess it's more amusing than anything but yeah those are all my notes um this film is on daily motion 
in its entirety if you wish to see it. Um, I would say it's a buy though. I think that yeah, I'd be comfortable telling most of you in our community to blind buy this film. Um, I'm going to go out and buy it once uh, once the time comes over the next few months. And uh, otherwise, until then, check it out on, on Daily Motion in its entirety. It's a, it's a pretty short watch, and um, I think you'll all dig it. So it's obviously a treat, a little Mexican treat from Kelly. And uh, Make a Break Scene is the finale. I'm a huge Carrie fan. It's in my top five favorite horror films. And while I don't think this film is as good as Carrie, it's certainly more rough around the edges. Um, it's it's the ending is is more insane, not as polished, but it's just raw and insane. Uh, my MVT is the two female leads in the film. Um, uh, that being Tina Romero. Come on, where are we here? Work with me here. Um, Tina Romero. And Susanna Camini. They put in really good performances, man. It's just fucking mental at the back end. And my score is, uh, it's, uh, I'm gonna give it, um, an 8.25. An 8, 8.25. It's in that range. 8.25, we'll say. Really dug it. It's, sh it's short. It's, um, films like this are one of the reasons I love watching world cinema, especially genre cinema, world cinema. It's just, uh, you couldn't really make a film like this in America at the time. Even as, as, as many barriers were being broken down and you're getting some kind of really great uh, wild stuff from America at the time. This is a film that needed to come from a country where the surrealist artists were kind of a little more celebrated. They had a community in place to kind of uh, cultivate each other's work and uh, Moctezuma's stuff is on full display here. So that's it. I hope you all check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Let us know what you think. And uh, of course, that leaves me one thing less to say or left to say even. And that would be Alucarda. Adios. All right, all right. You've been listening to the Midnight Ride with Lodge William, baby. Stay tuned for another episode where we bring the pumpkin to the pumpkins and the hangman's rope to the city foe. Son mauvais génie, Mr. Hyde ne disait rien, mais en secret n'en pensait pas moins. Je vous dis que je ne suis pas le docteur Jekyll. Que mon nom est Hyde, Mr. Hyde. Docteur Jekyll n'a eu dans sa vie que des petites garces qui se foutaient de lui. Fait la peau, la peau du docteur Jekyll.